0: She was having fits, shaking, and it was she was like a rag doll. If we don't have this procedure, it could poison her whole system and I could lose Christine.
1: 242, having a responding
0: probe one. We're having that lady unconscious. Topic approach 1320.
1: Hi, I'm Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast.
0: Tears were thrumming down my eyes as she went up into the theatre in the um, elevator. I wasn't allowed to go any further there. And I capture that in my mind every time.
1: The Royal Flying Doctor Service has long served the mining industry, with most of their major hubs located in very remote parts of the country, where there are no hospitals. When accidents or severe illness occur, the RFDS makes sure that patients are flown to the closest tertiary hospital, whether that's in Perth, Broome, Cairns or Adelaide. Nigel Gould is a larger-than-life character, who currently has his portrait being painted by an artist for the Archibald. In his portrait pose, Nigel will be wearing a mining shirt, but then wearing only jocks and having bare legs showing an RFDS tattoo. Yes, it is hard to picture, as Nigel is in his later years and admits to not being in the best of physical shape for such a pose. But there is an explanation, which is what we will be exploring. G'day, Nigel. G'day. How are you? I'm good.
0: Good, good, good.
1: Okay, before we dive into the Archibald portrait, let me first ask, how many decades have you worked in the mining industry and what sort of work do you do?
0: I've been there since uh, 1990 and I was in construction before that uh, in the 80s and uh, I've been a truck driver. I suppose technically I'm a steering wheel attendant, you know, (laughs) and I'm happy with my life, you know, on the grader and the I think I've worked in every state and lived in every state, so I've got to um, know quite a few people.
1: Is there any mining equipment that you don't operate? Oh, there's a few.
0: Everything's specialised these days. and But actually, I I can't lie at the moment, it's autonomous at the moment. So uh, uh, the technology's changed and I've been blessed to come along for the ride with technology and uh, learn to look at things from a different point of view and look at, you know, how good it can be for Australia if we do it smart and share the load for everyone.
1: Fabulous. Have you always had, if you've been working in the mining industry, which are famous for their FIFO, which is um, fly-in, fly-out work, have you always done FIFO yourself? I've
0: done 50-50, 10 years in the magnificent town of Weeper and uh, 10 years FIFO, uh, fly-in, fly-out. So I've seen both sides of the argument uh of what's going on it's it's on the family life it's it's tough it, it really is tough you've got to be disciplined and that's why I've always been the old stayer in fact on my crew I'm the old stayer there now so um I'm an old veteran so I seem to outstay everyone else you know so which goes to prove you haven't got to be the best tool in the shed to uh <laughs> hang in there as long as you hang in there in life.
1: And you've been married for a long time, what long, almost three decades or so?
0: Yes, three decades, yes, coming up to that. So uh, yeah, it's been a long time, yeah. yeah. What, what's my,
1: your wife's name?
0: Christine, and she puts up me. She's brilliant. she's um she's my guiding light. She's um she if it wasn't for her, oh goodness knows in life what would happen. She's led me and pulled my head in when I needed my head pulled in. So just a, a brilliant woman. Gotcha.
1: Okay, so some 25 years ago, you and Christina were living and working in Weeper, which is a small coastal mining township in far north Queensland. It's on the western side of the Cape York Peninsula, and it's just under a 1,000 kilometres from Brisbane. And Weeper's an interesting place. It's a mining town that was built by a large mining company, uh, Comalco, to house its employees and their families and government workers and so forth. And uh, my understanding is it's the largest or one of the largest bauxite uh, mines uh, in the world. Bauxite is what they make aluminium metal from. And it also is where they mine um, kaolin which is a soft white clay that they use for manufacturing of china and porcelain paper rubber and paint so could you describe what weeper looks like as sort of a man i mean all townships are man-made but this one is specifically a mining township what does it look like and how many people live there
0: it's um it would fly in there i remember the first time i flew there you've i thought where's the town it was like a shock to me i thought It's just the heat coming up and there was no town there because the airport's right out of town. And unfortunately, Kaolum's not going anymore, but you fly there and then all of a sudden you see the gorgeous water, the land, the uh, environment is just pristine and stunning, and that red earth, and you see those trucks going around. But the most important thing is the community. Once you get to know that community, it's just absolutely magnificent place to bring children up, live there. And um yeah, opportunities are just so full
1: there. What does it look like?
0: It's it's a town that the you look at and say, wow, look at the the pristine growth, look at the absolutely immaculate area. And it's it's just beautiful. Yeah, some people say it's not the latest technology and that but it is it's got some some magnificent latest updates in there so it's just one of those places that ideal to live to bring a family up and opportunity for life
1: yeah and um i think it's got about four thousand people is that correct in terms of population
0: roughly around there it all depends on wet and dry season yeah
1: Right, and uh, I presume they have their own shops and they have they have a little local hospital and they have a school, I presume, or a couple of schools? Yes,
0: they have all the facilities you can want and uh, modernised. They've got more modernised since I've left too and uh, they've got their own town um, commission or town council they're trying to get there at the moment. They, try, they want to be on their own. They're just, yeah, they're like people in the bush. You do your own thing, you get on with it, you take your opportunities and you grab it.
1: Okay, so you're up there with Christina, your wife, and she was pregnant. Was this your wife's first pregnancy?
0: Uh, no, no. We we had a daughter before and uh, it was the second one, uh, Melanie, yeah.
1: Okay, so um, how did the birth go? Did it all go as planned?
0: Oh, fantastic birth, birth, you know. It's, you know, half of the children were born there and, look, just, yeah, uh, it was Great birth, yeah. Everything was going well.
1: Well, I went back to work, yeah. You went back to work. Some days after the arrival of your daughter, Melanie, it became clear that some of the placenta had been retained and not expelled by your wife's body. Um, A retained placenta is not a common condition, but it's where a woman can develop symptoms days or weeks after the birth, including fever and infection and continued blood loss, which can be life-threatening. So at what point was it determined that your wife was not doing so well after the birth of your beautiful little daughter, Melanie?
0: Uh, what happened was I came home and she was in hospital and uh, Melanie was there being looked after a dear friend and they just had to say the Royal Flying Doctor Services on the way. We've got to get her the cans because this is uh, otherwise we could lose it. So uh, we um, took a. Yeah, immediately to the airport because the Royal Flying Doctor Service was coming, and uh, got her straight down to uh, got her flying down to Cairns. Yes,
1: were and you at work when you got the call?
0: I was at work. Yes, yes, I was. Yeah.
1: So your wife is at home and she's got this beautiful newborn baby, just days old, and you're at work, and then you received a call or you received notification by your supervisor that something was wrong. Yes. And you had to be taken, were you taken to the hospital or to the doctor's office?
0: Uh, straight away to the hospital it was, yeah. It, she was and in so, hospital.
1: And so you got there. Did you have any idea that your wife was unwell or, like, did this come as a huge shock to you That's at a the huge time? shock.
0: I just went off to my shift and they just said uh, uh, Melanie's being looked after by Christine's best friend and uh, she's in hospital and, and it's urgent. Yeah.
1: So you got there to the hospital and... You don't know what's going on, and your wife is suddenly hospitalised with something very urgent. What were you told when you arrived?
0: That we have to urgently get her to cans because if we don't have this procedure, uh, the it could poison her whole system, and uh, I could lose Christine. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay, so they have to emerge, get her out on an emergency retrieval That's with correct. the RFDS and send her to Cairns. Did that happen right away?
0: Immediately. It was straight away. It was just uh, within a few hours they were there. It was just dynamic.
1: Did you travel with her to Cairns?
0: Yes, with this little baby in hands, Yeah, and I had to learn how to uh, put the bottle in because she was breastfed, uh, you know, and Christine couldn't, of course. So I had to have a crash course in, in uh, how to doing mixtures and which I had great help many hours from the Royal Flying Doctor staff helping me and showing me what to do. And I had a crash course.
1: Right. And where was your other daughter during this?
0: We, we were spoiled because uh, the rest of the family was lost, uh, Lost uh, looked after by uh, dear friends. So we we're very lucky. The community comes in really close there and looks right. after you and helps you out.
1: So they all came together to look after your other child, who was how old at that point?
0: Uh, it would have been five. Yeah,
1: five. Wow. So she's, five, she's four. <laughs> yeah. So she's being looked after by friends. And there you are on a plane with your wife, Christina, who's, you know, critically ill. Um, did she have to get surgery when she got to Cairns?
0: Yes, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget she just had to get rushed straight to the theatre and I still remember, I still got the ring here, giving her this ring, this my ring to say listen, we've got a big time here, and she held on to this ring and got it put on with her ring to say, hey, we're together. I'll never forget. I can see it so clear as she went up and tears were thrumming down my eyes as she went up into the theatre in the um, elevator. I wasn't allowed to go any further there, and I s- capture that in my mind every time, yeah. And um,
1: and you are still holding this baby, this six-day-old yep. baby? Yep. Wow, okay. So – she i presume she had to have surgery to be able to resolve the yep. the retained placenta
0: oh yeah, it was just before everything got too infected and we were blessed that uh, through the great service there <sighs> oh, she was saved thank god
1: wow was there a long recovery?
0: Ah, uh, there was yes, quite a long recovery in cans until she, until she could even travel again. And yes, there was you know quite a while um, before she recovered and came back to Weeper. Yes,
1: did you have to return to work before that point, or did you stick it out with her looking oh, after the baby until she was back look, on her feet again?
0: Looked after the baby. The really good community there and um, spirit up there. And no, no, it was a very very uh, pleasing to say everything went well and. Um, We were looked after.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay, well, that's an experience not everybody wants to go through. Um, So you get back to work some months later and everything seems to be going along well, but then within a few months something else happened and your beautiful daughter Melanie had her own medical emergency. Could you explain what happened?
0: I I was at work once again. I seem to be working all the time, don't I? I'm at work once again and... uh, my super—I think it was my superintendent—drove me and said, "Nigel, you've got to come straight away." And uh, it's—and he, he didn't explain it. All, he just said, "You've got to come to the hospital. There's a bit of a something going on with uh, one of your children and uh, your new little baby." You know, so okay, I've got there, and Father Pat Jones was giving the last rites to. Um, a Melanie and I knew straight away then as we're all um, Catholics what that meant that was like whoa and she was having continuously having fits um, shaking it was she was like a rag doll and she was just about losing all her energy and power and and the doctors there could not work out what was going on and try to stabilize her which they eventually did stabilize her but had to get to the cans otherwise these convulsions and fits were just continuously going on so um, it was another life call to the Royal Flying Doctor Service.
1: Oh, my gosh. So, okay, so this time, was it, again, you and Christina and Melanie on the plane or was it just your wife that took her off?
0: Just uh, my wife and um, because it was a smaller plane, this one too, and that's where I got talking about planes to them. Um, It was only uh, those two that could fit on the plane, that's this time. And so I take a commercial flight down there and... uh, that was pretty, uh, oh, that's <laughs> pretty intense.
1: <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Okay, so, okay, so tell me. So, when they got little Melanie to Cairns, were they able to stabilise her and sort out what was going on with the seizures?
0: Yeah, we're very fortunate. They did stabilise her. She was still having fits, but we had to learn to um, have if it happened out of the blue again how to put, um, I forget what the procedure, is. something under a tongue and we had to be trained in that before we could go back to Weeper and uh, these fits were just um, nothing like I've seen before. And you think, oh, everything's going to be all right. But uh, eventually she grew out of them and it was just the sort of thing you don't expect when you're in an isolated place like that. So, Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, the isolation of Weeper could sort of, you know even just from a stress perspective make the emergency even worse
0: that, that's correct that's right because you haven't got the facilities and but the best thing about it we had my safety belt my um lifeline I called the Royal Flying Doctor Service and it was like oh thank <laughs> god thank god <laughs>
1: point you and a number of other relatively enthusiastic men came up with a unique way to raise money for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Affectionately, this has come to be known as the running of the bulls, but it's more about nude men running in the dead of night and there's no bull in sight. Um, Before I get you to explain about the fundraiser, maybe I should first explain that Weeper enjoys a tropical climate with two distinct seasons, the wet and the dry. And the wet season brings monsoonal rains and humidity between November and April, while the dry season from May to October tends to be hot and dry. Um, and during that wet season, Weeper can get two metres of rainfall, um, which some of us in the southern eastern States of Australia would just dream about. (laughs) Um, Now, this charity fundraising event comes at a time of the year right at the end of that hot dry um, when everybody's gone a little bit wild and uh, they're just ready for that first outbreak of the wet season and the storms to come through. It's almost, from what I can understand, it's almost like a spontaneous celebration of the tropical wet season's first rainfall. So tell me, I want to know, how did you come up with this idea on the running of the Bulls and what was that first event like? Well,
0: after everything settles down and we've come back and I'm going around my dear mate Dave's place and Laurie and we're having a beer. And uh, these guys are just absolutely brilliant fitters. Their uh, uh, their minds are so they would have been um, engineers if they'd gone on. These guys are absolutely, they're, they're problem solvers. And I tell them about I'm talking to the crew of the Royal Flying Doctor Service and the pilots and the planes are getting a bit old and and uh, and these great problem solvers who we can work the meaning of life out with these guys over a few beers, you know, relax. They say, well, what can we do about it? And uh, that was my suggestion. And uh, they said, okay, well, the logo was on at the time. The uh, the running of the bulls over there. And I said, "Well, we can do it here. Let's do it here. But let's do it with uh, all the boys, you know, because everyone knows everyone when it's um, when it's wet season. Sunny, the locals, you know, and it, families, and everyone knows everyone." And I said, "Okay, let's go at midnight because anyone under eighteen should be asleep. Um, <laughs> let's go around a circular way, a big circle in the middle of town and collect some money and." Uh, Dave looked at me. Dave with this big beard, and you know, Laurie, you know, as he puffs on his smoke and says, "Okay, let's do it. Let's organise it." And that's how the first run happened. Yeah.
1: And so was it was it timed initially for that first storm, or did you just say, "Okay, good. We know the the, the wet season is going to hit about this time, so we're going to go for a Saturday night at this time." Or did you wait? Or did you actually do the first? Um, running of the bulls in the rain
0: no everything's to do with the season up there the seasons run everything they run run the whole lifestyle up there and there's nothing like that first tropical rain it's just beautiful proper storm and so we said okay when the proper storm comes and everyone's just relaxed and the next saturday night at this time at midnight we're going to do it every year and that's how it happened. That was the time and date. The first tropical storm and then on Saturday night to get maximum people.
1: And how many people participated that first year?
0: Oh, the first year was six old men. <laughs> <laughs> a, few, a couple of them were a bit younger, you know, and they're all professional guys. It wasn't like they were, you know, it wasn't like there was Exhibitionist and everyone knew everyone, and and it it was oh the first it was so hard the first year you know we, you know we, we were how do you put it nicely we we're the most athletic sort of guys you know
1: how um, far was the run like uh, how
0: f- it would be about it would take about twelve minutes all well, depends on your fitness level to walk around circular way about you know twelve minutes you know to walk
1: and were you doing a walk or were you doing a run
0: we in, have to do. We'd have to do a nice walk to collect money and it's also to collect the money and just have a bit of fun because that's what if you you don't have fun doing things because I'd say 80% of the uh, audience were all the ladies of the town, you know, 80% of the audience were the ladies, you know.
1: So, okay, so that was that first year and and i understand there was sponsorship from the local businesses there were lots of spectators to th- did you carry jugs with um oh, that people it, could put coins in or how were people well, making after, the donations
0: after the first year we uh, we got egged would you believe it, the first year by a few of the young lads around town and uh, i think we made two or 300 dollars the first year you know and right and that was it you know and i thought oh well here comes the second year world well, life changed it changed Next thing, i am We've got sponsorship deals. We're doing um, multinational companies overseas. I'm doing interviews in Paris, London, uh, uh, South America, every continent, and they could not get enough of us, you know. And all because yeah, I mean,
1: who can who can <laughs> you can't beat a story about you know sort of middle aged Australian men, you know, naked in the middle of the night. You just can't. <laughs> Hard to imagine. Um, so, okay. So that's we're now we're talking. Um, you know, in the early nineties, and the running of the bulls has, to what I understand, it's sort of morphed over time. So now women are involved. It's not just men, and that even body paint has become part of part of the ritual. Is that correct?
0: Body paint that we have to change the reinvent ourselves every year one year I think we had the uh the most amount of nude people in a in the in the in the phone box There interviewed by the ABC by the way who set the record and how uh, many
1: people did you how many nude people did you get shoved into a oh, phone box
0: I've forgotten the number now but it, it was very tight and <laughs> uh, it was it was very tight and, and it, And it was all the guys only then too, but uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. But uh, and all these, we had to reinvent ourselves every year, you know, and find a different angle. But and in the end, it was because doesn't matter who you are, the local policeman, the school teacher, everyone had been affected, and their lives had been saved by the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And but we didn't expect this to ignite around the world, and we'd have this brands these. On stubby tops, and next thing you know, people were quoting us that we're in uh, what are they called in those trivial pursuits? Now we're in that, we're in, and it's like <laughs> merchandising, and and little do I know, and Madonna would come into it. And
1: uh, it okay, was, no, you have to, you can't just drop that name. So, what do you mean, Madonna come? Did she actually come and do it? I understand she, she was holidaying in Port Douglas and heard about it, and she had entertained the idea, but did she actually show up?
0: It, a, a coincidence, a, a lot of coincidence happened. Now, I was doing an interview in New York. Oh, I forget the famous D They even put a film on him. I'll think of his name there. And she was listening to my interview. Um, she had just finished hers and said, Can I talk to this guy? And they said, and she said, Oh, how innovative, you know, you look like out of the square, you know, you've got to raise money and there's only one people that can do it. Love you, Aussies, love you, Aussies. And then later on in the year, later on, the actual tropical storm came. And who flies into Cairns to uh, on a on one of Madonna's jets to go to Port Douglas for a holiday? I am trying to think of that naughty star's name. He was there with one of his girlfriends, but it was one of Madonna's um, Learjets. And so they thought, put two and two together, Madonna's coming to the running of the Bulls. And these crazy fans of Madonna's would come up to Weeper. They'd fly up and hire planes to go there. And it just went... I couldn't believe it.
1: Unfortunately, they weren't coming to run <laughs> naked to raise money for the Flying Doctor. They just wanted to to follow Madonna. But That's all I wanted. to my knowledge, she never actually uh, there was no sign of Madonna. But no. it, she definitely gave her support to it, which is wonderful.
0: Yeah, oh, her Learjet was in Cairns by coincidence, but she had about four or five Learjets, apparently. So. <laughs> right.
1: So, do you think that the people of Weipa have the same love and sentiment for the RFDs, um, even this many decades after you started the running of the bulls?
0: Oh, absolutely! Look, it's the just uh, the families, the community have always known this is we're here, but we've got our little safety belt there. You know, the Royal Flying Doctor Service. There's nothing like looking at the airport in Weeper or might be in the Pilbara. Um, I've been in. The coal mines in New South Wales, and there's been accidents, and you see that Royal Flying Doctor um, plane in there go. Oh, thank mm. you, thank you.
1: That's so, fabulous. Well, more recently, when you were working in Western Australia, you had to be transported yourself because of some heart troubles. What happened there?
0: It was uh, New Year's Eve, uh, 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 not um, 2020, and on. Uh, i was in a water cart at the time and i have never experienced such pains to my chest i thought what is going on here i'm going to explode i uh, i called uh uh the supervisor who immediately took me to the emo emergency services there and uh i just they uh, tested me out and said you're having a, a heart attack my friend you know and um uh I've never been so much pain in my life I and I'm a guy that plays tennis every second day and uh, I thought, ah, this is not going to happen to me, I, I'm a, you know I, I'm the guru of, you know swimming and, you know, tennis clubs and have fun and well, it just doesn't work that way and uh, they had to fly me to Port Hedland and uh, the more, thank God for morphine and my uh, my good EMOs who gave it to me, the pain was extraordinary and uh, What it was, I uh, got flown to uh, Port Hedland. Actually, it was, and I had a huge infection there, rubbing right on um, my—I forget the technical term—right on my heart. So it's exactly like a heart attack. It was just horrendous. And once again, the Royal Flying Doctor Service has been magnificent.
1: Wow! Well, that's fabulous. I'm glad we were there to help you. So let's get back to your portrait for the Archibald. So, um. Kay Lee Venet is the and, portrait artist. and, and
0: I may, underst- uh, may I say about Kay, she has got full artistic control. If she doesn't want me to, uh, whatever she says, I might be a <laughs> stick man. Uh, if she doesn't want me to, what she wants, she, she is uh, a pure artist. So she controls everything that happens there.
1: I understand completely. <laughs> so you have your first sitting when you next get back to Melbourne. Have you ever had your portrait painted before?
0: No, I got asked uh, about oh, like four or five years ago and at the time I was too busy and because um, family came first, there was more priorities going of my family at the time. It was nice to be asked, but uh, I'm working 12 and a half hours a day. I'm away for weeks at a time and uh, family came first. And But now life's changed a bit. I'm near retirement. I've cut my hours back and... Uh, I'm doing it for the right reasons for uh, mental health and uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service to promote them. That's what it's all about to, and um, get to know the real complicated Nigel Gould, the guy that runs naked, runs for parliament, um, union leader, uh, helps people out. And she said you are the most, a very interesting subject.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no question Does it seem strange that you'll be seated Wearing a mining shirt And just your jocks I oh. mean I presume I presume you are someone Because you've bared at all to raise money for the RFDS That being seated in your jocks Is something that you're comfortable about
0: Oh yeah, it's up to Kay. Let's let's be because everyone associates me. I'm more well known overseas for the Royal Flying Doctor running naked. You know, we're raising all these funds, but it's all up to Kay. Kay's in control. If she tells me to wear a suit and tie, I will. If Kay won't, that's the whole thing. The magic of her art to put this complicated guy Nigel Gould, who's run for parliament, got arrested on picket lines. Uh, oh, found a million dollars and handed back and that sort of stuff. What a complicated act, so for Kay is in full control. She could draw me as a stick man. She could draw me, it's up to her. She's the artist and she said, what an opportunity, she's gonna thrive on it, she said.
1: That's fabulous. Well, could I just make one suggestion, Kay, if you're listening? Let's leave the jocks on for this particular portrait. Um, I can't wait to see the portrait. Thank you for talking to me today, Nigel. It's been a real joy to hear about your life's work and adventures and running with the bulls. Thank you very much. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to The Flying Doctor Podcast.